Uh, today's gospel reading comes from the 21st chapter of Matthew. And if you haven't already taken the hint, it seems that Jesus is now at a point in his ministry uh, where he, uh, where it feels like in his teachings he's lost a little bit of patience. So let's continue with this. Starting with the 33rd verse. Here's another story. Listen closely. There was once a man, a wealthy farmer, who planted a vineyard. He fenced it, dug in the wine press, put up a watchtower, and then turned it over to farm hands and went off on a trip. When it was time to harvest the grapes, he sent his servants back to collect his profits. And the farm hands grabbed the first servant and beat him up. The next one they murdered. They threw stones at a third, but he got away. And the owner tried again, sending more servants, and they got the same treatment. The owner was at the end of his rope, so he decided to send his son. Surely, he thought, they will respect my son. But when the farmhands saw the son arrived, they rubbed their hands in greed. This is the heir. Let's kill him, and we will have it all for ourselves. They grabbed him and threw him out, and they killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard arrives home from his trip, what do you think he will do to the farmhands? He will kill them, a rotten bunch, and good riddance, they answered. And then he will assign the vineyard to farmhands who will hand over the profits when it is time. And Jesus said, right, and you can read it for yourselves in your Bibles. The stone the masons threw out is now the cornerstone. This is God's work. We rub our eyes and we can hardly believe it. This is the way it is with you. God's kingdom will be taken back from you and handed over to people who will live out the kingdom life. Whoever stumbles on the stone gets shattered. Whoever the stone falls on gets smashed. When the religious leaders heard this story, they knew it was aimed at them. They wanted to arrest Jesus right then and there and put him in jail. But they were intimidated by public opinion and they held back. Most people held him to be a prophet of God. All right, quick pop quiz. Brutal story. But who is the farmer? Anybody? Huh? No. How about who was the father in the story of the prodigal son? God. So the farmer, the owner of the property is who? God. Who are the farmhands? Us. And the religious leaders. And the servants then are the emissaries of God, all the prophets that have come. So it's important that you understand the picture that Jesus has just now painted. Because if you understand God as the owner of the land, and the way this story goes, God created what? The earth. Turned over the earth, the world, to us to take care of. Okay? 
And what did we do? When it came time to pay the piper, when it came time to take care of the land, we've pretty well screwed it up, haven't we? Yeah, amen. Just, just, just a little. I mean, you know, it, I, I laugh every time I hear these people get on the air and they start talking about uh, the environment and that that's all made up. As if they don't have any responsibility for the air that we breathe or the water that we drink. And nobody, none of these good Christian folk ever, ever remember who gave us the responsibility to take care of this and they just try to blame it on some liberal folk that we're trying to control everything when we say, hey, you got to take care of the drinking water. you got to take care of the air. So the story of Jesus is aimed right at the religious leaders. Right at them. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say this morning that it is aimed at anybody who calls themselves a Christian. Now, <clears throat> I don't do this often, but there is a uh, pastor, his name is uh, James Elliott out of the uh, Church of Canada. And I want to give you the opening to his sermon on this same passage, and then um, we'll tie it all together. Today, we are here, as we are each Sunday, to worship God as a part of what that we gather to express our thanks and giving to receive hope and some encouragement. Each week we gather, we do so to devote ourselves anew to God and to listen, to listen in the hope that God will speak in a special way to us and that we will be able to do what it is that God asks of us. We listen and we pray and we sing, hoping that the comfort of the Holy Spirit will lift us up and give us the peace that Christ promised to those who follow him. Sometimes when we worship, however, we are reminded of how far we have yet to go in our Christian walk. Perhaps the prayer of confession comes a little too close to home. Or the preacher reminds us of what we have promised and we have not yet done. Or perhaps the law of God is read as it was read today. You all heard the Ten Commandments. And instead of feeling comfort by that word, we feel ill at ease. Certainly in the Christian church all around the world today, there are hundreds, perhaps thousands of preachers, now listen to me closely here, who are misusing the law of God. Preachers who are beating up their congregations. But even where that law is not being misused in this way, there are likely hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people who feel uncomfortable because they believe they are hearing too much about the law of God and not enough about the grace of God. Now, I kind of kiddingly said to somebody uh, today before the start of the service, I wanted to preach this sermon 
because this is the one time when I get to go after the institutional church. And I make no apologies for that. Because if you want to know why we exist, why Gentle Spirit Christian Church is here, you have just heard it. Because the church, the collective institutional church, has lost its mind. The church, rather than being about meeting the needs of people, rather than being about bringing people in and reminding them that they are loved by God unconditionally, has been doing its level best to kick people out, to degrade people, to threaten people with hell, to tell people that they are not worthy. This very passage that was read today and will be read in countless churches around the world that call themselves electionary church, I guarantee you there will be but a very few who will sit there and say, this passage is aimed at what the Christian church has become. I always find it really interesting I find it incredibly appalling, actually, that you get all of these people who will sit there and quote Bible verses to you to tell you how you don't have a good relationship with God and then go on their merry way and do whatever the hell they want. Amen? Amen. There's a guy that's about to lose his uh, livelihood. You know, a big uh, political donor. And what do we find out today? That he has quietly paid off people so that they wouldn't report the fact that he is a sexual assaulter. We have a president of the United States who by all standards calls himself a Christian and yet he can talk about women as if they were the scourge of the earth. There are churches today who will refuse oh the hell with it, I'll just name them. The Roman Catholic Church has under orders from their bishops that if there's a gay couple that's part of that congregation and one of them dies, they're not going to get a church funeral. And you all heard the story of Paul today where he simply tried to find a place to lay his head down and did anybody offer to give him some shelter? Hell no! They put him in handcuffs and took him away and probably destroyed whatever individual rights that he had. And will anybody listen to that? No. Churches need to start paying attention folks and for those out there that are going to get real critical of me from the mainline church saying well what are you doing you know we do the best that we can we're just a small group of people amen but you know there are churches in this city that have more square footage you know where i'm going with this that every homeless person in the city ought to at very least have a roof over their head at night. And if you are not taking care of God's people, then you ought to be really uncomfortable listening to me today. 
we are required by those commandments not to steal. Joel Osteen, hear me now. When you stand on TV and justify how you can fly around in your plane, how you didn't have to open your church doors in Houston when people were drowning? How we in this country and good Christians get into this fight about how good it's going in Puerto Rico? And I can tell you for a fact, there are people that do not have water. How long can you go without water, folks? And yet... I have yet to see a swelling of the churches to make sure that aid is brought to Puerto Rico, that it goes to Houston, that it goes to Miami. What I do hear is a lot of excuses about why things are the way that they are. I, for one, folks, am tired. I am tired of explaining to people what they consider us as heretics. They really need to take a close look in the mirror and see if they're taking care of their people. Are the needs being met? Jesus very clearly in this passage makes it very, very clear that God gave us a very simple job to do. And that is to take care of what we've been given. So I'm going to leave this morning with this question. Are you taking care of what God has given you to do? If you are, praise God. Come and help us help the community. But if you're not, then go back and hear these passages today. Hear what the commandments say. And by the way, for somebody who says, well, what does God want me to do? It is one of the foundational practices of this church. You know what God wants you to do, oh man and woman. Be fair. Be just. Act mercifully and walk humbly with God. Which, by the way, I just got to throw this in. It means that you don't get to help people and judge them. You either help without judgment or walk away. Because if you help with judgment, you're as big a hypocrite as what Jesus talked about today. God bless you.